welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. It feels like forever. I'm pretty sure we were waiting for like seven minutes. Like it was like a long time. And I was starting to feel a little bit gutsy. So I actually tried to turn left when I couldn't see what, uh, there was like a bus here. It was slowing down. And then there was still like another vehicle coming from behind the bus. So I'm like trying to get around it. I go to turn left, and this car that's coming from behind the bus like almost T-bones us, right? And the bus driver uh, who sees me do it is like, no, no, dude, he's like waving at me. And I'm like, no, I gotta do this. And I just see them, and so I, I like floor it, right? Like get around, and now I'm, now I'm going this way. Uh, and then there's other vehicles who saw what I did, and there were other people passing by, and I, I remember them looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, and I'm like, I'm like, what am I doing? And the youth are like, what are you doing? Like, they are freaking out. They're yelling at me. I'm completely embarrassed. We get to where we're eating. They cannot stop talking about it. They're like, they're like Robin almost killed us. Our youth leader almost killed us. We almost died. And I was like, okay, I know, I know, I know. Well, they didn't stop. We got back to the youth conference and they're like, Robin almost killed us. <laughs> sorry, sorry, youth, that's not how you sound. That's how those youth sounded. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're just like, they're just going on and on and on. And now the worst kind of getting around that this happened. So I'm a little bit uh, afraid, right? Because in my culture, it, it, when I say culture, how I grew up understanding authority was that if you do something wrong, authority has the right to come down hard on you. They have the right to, to judge you critically. So I thought, you know what, just kind of growing up, growing up in sports culture, usually that's what kind of coaches did. And so I figured like my youth pastor would probably do the same thing. So I went to him and I was like, you know, I just got to tell him what happened before anyone else tells him what happened and it sounds worse than it was. So I go and I tell him this. And I remember his response to me because he was like, He's like, well, you know what, Robin? I actually trust you a lot more because you told me. And uh, he had the authority, he had the power to come down hard on me, um, to maybe even discipline me uh, because I had made a wrong choice. And I was very young and, and maybe I was too young to be a youth leader, or maybe too young to be driving other youths. And so maybe he would say, oh, I'm not allowed to drive anymore. But, and maybe that would have actually been what everybody else needed to see. Right, because that would have been a proper demonstration of power. He would look more responsible, maybe, if he went and told all the other youth leaders, listen, Raman's not allowed to drive because he did something that was extremely dangerous, put other kids in danger. But he didn't do that. He was meek. He had authority and power controlled. That's what meekness is. Authority and power controlled. And in that moment, he didn't... Ex he didn't he didn't exercise his authority to harm me or didn't exercise his authority to demonstrate his power. Instead, he affirmed me. Um, I think about that moment a lot because I think it was a moment that was kind of 
uh, a stepping off point for me to take on ministry. Because otherwise I had the desire to do it, but in that moment I saw my failure as, that's a huge failure. I could never lead a youth group. I could never be a youth pastor. I could never be a pastor because of this failure. But that moment affirmed me in my heart to say, like, you know what, maybe I could do this. Um, what I love about that story is that, it, again, it's that demonstration of meekness. And maybe the youth pastor afterwards, maybe afterwards he was thinking to himself, maybe I should have really disciplined him, you know? But for whatever reason, you know, Jesus had the, I believe Jesus was involved in that process. And sometimes we're looking for authority or we're expecting authority and people who have power to exercise their power to demonstrate their authority. But that's not how Jesus was. He instead went to the cross in meekness, power and authority under control, and experienced mockery, manipulation. He experienced um, mistreatment. Um, he experienced all the physical stuff that we associate with the crucifixion, and we always relate to the crucifixion, but he also experienced a psychological burden of abuse that we sometimes forget and we miss. So along with the physical stuff, the psychological stuff he was also dealing with, he was alone. His, his friends had abandoned him. And everyone, and we're going to look at it today, everyone had their shot at Jesus. And here we see the one who is a savior of the world completely abandoned. We're also going to see what we today is that the Jewish people were looking for an authority figure, though the one who was supposed to have absolute power to exercise their power. So they couldn't see the Messiah for who he was. They mistook his meekness as weakness. So this is what I want us to do right now. I want us to go to that particular passage. It's Matthew 27, verses 7, uh, 37 to 40. And we're going to see this picture of how they misunderstood it. And in Matthew, this is what Matthew, the author, is trying to do. He's trying to highlight something to the Jewish people. That the authority figure, that the true power that they were looking for was not who and what they should have been looking for. They were looking for a king to come and be the, the, the great rebel against the, the Romans and overthrow them. But instead, Matthew's like, no, 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 look, you are misunderstanding his meekness as weakness, his power under control to be actually true power. And so he's trying to bring their attention to that by aligning this, the story and bringing to their attention that uh, Jesus' story with Psalm 22, which the Jews would have known very well. So now as you guys have that open, Let's take a look at it together. First of all, let's pray. Um, Jesus, I am not, again, uh, able enough to communicate this adequately. But I need your Holy Spirit. I need you now. Powers to hear from you. Amen. All right. We're looking at Matthew uh, uh, 27, verse 37. It says this, And over his head they put the charge against him, the indictment 
against Jesus. It's the judgment they put against Jesus. Which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. Okay, so we're going to stop there. Okay, we're going to stop at verse 40. I want to highlight a few things to you right now. That Jesus is being mocked by the authority figures at that time. Those who had authority over the country, he was being mocked by them. Why? Because Pilate put this charge against Jesus. Now, Pilate is smart, okay? He's a smart guy because he's killing two birds with one stone when he puts this charge against Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying, first of all, to the Romans, listen, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm washing my hands of this whole scenario. The Jewish people want this Jesus character killed. Okay, and they keep sending up rebels to get to get rid of us. So so let's make an indictment against them by putting this symbol, this charge against Jesus, this judgment that he is the king of the Jews. So to the Romans, the Romans can see this and say, okay, great. We finally caught their ultimate rebel. Their one that they were going to rise up as king of the Jews. Finally, he's caught. He's hung up there. He's dead. Good. Look, Jews. You lost. That's enough. Be quiet. He's also making another one to the Jews themselves. Because he knows that they brought an innocent man to be judged. He knows that. And he wants them also to shut up. So he's like, listen, I... I am putting up this character. I'm putting up this character that you sent to me. I'm putting him up on a cross, and I'm putting a judgment against him. He says, "King of the Jews, the one thing that you didn't want put up, the one thing you, you uh, said you didn't want. That's one title you did not want him to have. So in this moment, I'm going to give him that title, so everyone can see it." Here's the thing: the one thing that they were using to judge him with wasn't actually the truth. Was he king of the Jews? Yes or no? Yeah, he's, he is the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. So it was true. So Jesus' own statement of who he was was being used against him to mock him. Not only that, Jesus was turned into a prop. No longer a person. Jesus had become manipulated and used. Who here has ever felt like you've been manipulated and used? Whoever's ever felt like your words have been taken out of context to make a fool of you? No, we may not have suffered on a cross, had nails put in our hands. But we understand a little bit of what Jesus is going through right there in that moment. And Jesus understands when we've experienced these kind of pains and sufferings in our lives. He went to the cross and he endured a mockery, an unfair mockery, an unfair manipulation where he was no longer a person but a prop to make a point to others. This is our Jesus who understands 
what it's like to experience this. We are never alone when we are experiencing these things in our lives. This is incredible power that he's demonstrating. Second thing I want us to look at, too, is that this aligns perfectly with Psalm 22. So we're going to go to Psalm 22. Let's look at that right now. Because Matthew's making a point to them. He's making a point to these Jews. So Psalm 22, verses 6 to 8. It says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And this aligns perfectly with this passage that we're looking at here. If you go back and look at 37, um, verse 37 and 40. Right, because we see that, that those who passed by did what? They derided him and they wagged their heads. These lines up perfectly so Matthew could make that statement to the Jews that look, you are missing it. He is actually king of the Jews, he is actually the person that you're looking for. But you're missing the moment, or you have missed the moment. And so not only has Jesus been derided by the authorities, but also his own people. Everybody who is there for the Passover, his own people are now saying, oh, this poor guy. They have now turned their backs on him. More abandonment, more rejection. Not only he is a prop, not only is he being manipulated, he's being rejected by his own people. If you go on, it says as well, as well that, it's, um, that there's a statement that he would destroy um, the temple and rebuild it in three days. Right? And so they're making the statement that if he would do that, then why doesn't he go ahead and save himself? Well, John chapter 2, verse 19 to 22 makes it very clear. Now, you don't have to, I think we have it up there. So you don't have to turn it, I'll read it to you. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Well, we keep going. What else does it say? Um, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture that the word of Jesus had spoken. So... What is happening here? The people of Israel, the people who are there in Jerusalem, who are there for the Passover, they're missing the moment, right? Because the exact thing that they were judging him about and insulting him about is actually happening in that moment. He is actually doing it. He is destroying his body. He's offering his body to be destroyed. And so they're missing it. They don't understand what he's about. They are mistaking his meekness as weakness. You know, there's so many times in our lives where we're going through our journeys. And you might be here today and you, are, you might be going through a journey where you are being misunderstood. 
Maybe you're going through an experience where you've been manipulated, where you've been, you felt used. Maybe you haven't been looked at as a, a person, but more of a, as a prop. Maybe at work, you're not judged based on your, on your character or based on who you are as a person, but you're being judged on your work and or maybe on things that aren't even true about you. Or maybe things that are actually true about you have been used against you. This is painful stuff that many of us experience. Listen, this is our Jesus. He's experienced it as well. He knows what it is to go through this. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows what it is to be manipulated and used. He knows what it is to have his words taken out of context. When we put our confidence in this king, we're not just putting confidence in a king who can heal. We're not just putting confidence in a king who can... Give us whatever we want, whenever we want, as though he was an ATM or a genie. No, no, no. He went the journey, just like Hebrews says, that we have a high priest that we could put confidence in. Why? Because he experienced what it was to be human. He experienced what it is to experience our human weakness. So we can go to him in confidence. His meekness can be misunderstood as weakness, but it's not. It was his true power to us who believe when we put our confidence in him, we can be strengthened and affirmed. But let's keep going, okay? Matthew 27, verses 41 to 43. So also the chief priests, the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. And this is a very um, interesting comment, right? Because they go on to say, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Now they're having some fun because they, they, they're saying, well, yeah, you've gone off and saved other people. Why can't you go on now and save yourself? And if you're truly loved by God, if you are truly desired by God, then then God would do this. God would save you. He would rescue you. They are misunderstanding his meekness as weakness. And again, we see there's another group. It's the chief priests. It's the religious leaders. It's the, it's the, it's the spiritual heads of this community. They are the ones now who are saying, God is not for you. God can't possibly be for you if you're going through this. Has anybody here ever experienced rejection from religious leaders based on something that they were going through? Has anyone here ever experienced authorities who did not go the distance to understand what you were going through, but instead rejected you instead? Based on your circumstances. Listen, church. You're being pretty quiet right now. No one's putting their hands up. I am assuming you guys have had pretty good lives. But listen, I want to let you know that if you do experience anything like this at any point in time in your life, Jesus went through it too. We're not asking you to show loyalty to this person, Jesus, just so that you could come to our church. We have more numbers. We are not asking anybody to follow Jesus just so you can go to heaven. Because life on this earth is tough. 
We are running to Jesus, not as a crutch, but because he himself is life. And if you are struggling, he understands. And he can help you. And he can come beside you and encourage you. Goodness gracious, even pastors need that. Amen. I don't know why Ross said that, because Ross does not need that. Ross is doing pretty darn good. But, you know, this is, a, this is a very, very distinct thing for each and every one of us to understand. That he knows what it is like to experience this. We always focus on the physical things, but look at the psychological things but the, the emotional things that Jesus experienced, the, the, the depth of rejection and abandonment that Jesus experienced, even the religious leaders despised him. And they're being so clever, you know, I'm reminded of, um, reminded of Narnia. You know, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. The, the White Witch takes... Um, uh, who's supposed to be in the story, supposed to be an analogy of the crucifixion. So we have the white witch who's like um, an analogy of the, of, the, of the devil, the evil one. And then you have the lion Aslan, who's, who's a picture, who's a type of Christ in the sense. So he's going up to the stone table where he's going to be killed. The white witch raises up the knife to kill him. And she says, oh, look, I'm, gonna, I'm paraphrasing it. I'm going to kill you now, and you think you're going to save everybody, but guess what? You're not. Because as soon as I kill you, I'm going to go after the traitor who you think you're saving. And as I was supposed to give his life so that the traitor, who was Edmund, one of the main characters in the stories, uh, would be saved based on the thing that he had done wrong. So she's like, oh, guess what? I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to go after that boy. And this is what's happening here. In this scenario, these people are looking at this and they're like, listen, you, you, you failed. You have absolutely failed, Jesus. God is not for you. And they are, and they are turning their backs on him. This is a, a painful understanding for us uh, to realize that he was going through this. His meekness was misunderstood as weakness. We're going to keep powering through because I want to have some time for communion. So let's keep going. Matthew chapter 27, verses 43 to 44, okay? So I'm going to read 43 again. Forty-three says this, He trusts in God, let God deliver him now. If he, deliver, if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled Jesus in the same way. So not only have the authorities, you remember the disciples are gone now. I think it was only John who was left. The authorities have, are, 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 are rejecting him. He has been mocked. He's been manipulated. He's been mistreated. The, the religious leaders, his own people have rejected him. Now even the robbers, the, the people who actually deserve to be there, they're now taking shots at Jesus. Now they're having their own time of, of taking shots at him. So we know that there's one to the right and one to the left. 
And so they were reviling him in the exact same way. And there's a very important statement here that's made. For if, it says, if he desires him, sorry, if he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. In other words, God has disowned Jesus in this moment. Now, let's pay attention to that. Because if we understand 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that says something very important for us to understand. We realize that Jesus' abandonment goes even farther. For our sake, it says, I don't think it's up there, but I'll read it to you. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For whose sake did he become sin? For our sake. He became sin. He didn't have sin imposed on him. God didn't say, okay, let me give you an indictment of sin uh, on top of the cross, and then there you go. That's your little indictment. You are now sin. No, no. He actually became sin for our sake. Why is that important? It's very important because we were completely separated from God. Even if you look at the first top of Ephesians 2, you can see that we were led by the spirit of the world. Before we knew Jesus, before the new creation, we could not do anything on our own abilities to attain righteousness, to be in the presence of the Lord. We We are totally apart from him. Um, I love how 2 Corinthians 6 says that, that as unbelievers, we were just in darkness and that there is no fellowship between light and darkness. So Jesus became sin and God had to. You know, we say this term figuratively, but understanding this, turn his face from him. God had to abandon him in that moment to death on a cross to become sin. Why? So that we would never be abandoned. Why? So that we would never be called sin ever again. That we would never be in the realm of darkness. That we would be received in the realm of light. That had to happen for our sake. This is an incredible work that Christ has done on our behalf. So he's experienced all sorts of abandonment up until this point. And so not only that, he's experiencing that from the robbers. He's now experiencing it from from God in this sense. Completely mistreated. Completely abandoned. I want to ask you now to think of a time in your life when you experienced abandonment. I want you to think about a time in your life when you felt really alone. I I want you to now do this. Because we've now talked about how Jesus was so alone. We've talked about how mistreated he was. We talked about how he's manipulated and used, how he was turned into a property, he was no longer a person to those people. I want you to imagine that aloneness. Who's going to understand your loneliness more than anyone? Jesus. 
Who was probably with you in that moment when you were alone? Jesus. I want you to even do that right now. Imagine him in that moment with you. He knows what it's like. He's not afraid of your loneliness. He's not afraid of your dark feelings. He's not afraid of your heavy feelings. He's not afraid of your pain. He's with you in it all. And I think sometimes that we as well, in our own loneliness, misunderstand Jesus because we don't see the things that he went through on our behalf. But we don't understand fully the things that he went through on our behalf. And that he is the one who can be the high priest, who could be with us in every moment, who could be the caretaker of our souls in everything, who is actually close to the brokenhearted. Why? Because he experienced what you experienced. Why did he experience those things? So that he could be close to you. So that he could minister to you. That's why those things have happened to him. It's incredible. It's a beautiful thing that we get to watch and to witness here. All right. We're going to move to a time of communion. This is 11 o'clock now. And you're like, Robin, where's the hope? Give me something good. I'm trying. I'm praying. I'm trying. Um, I, I want to share this now as we're closing. I'm uh, going towards uh, communion. Um, it's just the one. Oh, there's a two there. That's really good. Hey, Josh, would you want to help me with that? Yeah, that'd be cool, bro. I'll let you know in just a bit. Um, there's that song, uh, uh, How Great the Father's Love for Us, right? Vast beyond all measure. Well, it has that, that, that verse about, um, I hear my voice among the mockers, the scoffers. You know that verse? And I heard that verse and I was like, what's the deal with that? Like, that's a weird verse to put in there. How could, how could my voice be among the scoffers in that moment? It doesn't seem to apply. When I looked deeper into the story, I started to highlight it to me a little bit in, in this way. That we were not called to follow the, the flashy, the impressive, um, the the leader by which the world would follow, right? Because Jesus did not fit the world's standards. He did not fit the Jews and the Romans' standards of what true authority looked like. His meekness can be misunderstood as weakness. And so in our world, we can look past everything that he did and look at it as weakness and not actual true power. And so... Unfortunately, sometimes in the church, we've called people to come to faith and to call and serve a king who is supposed to do everything for you and supposed to help you feel really strong and really great all the time and make everything look great all the time. And I think sometimes we undersell the true power and purpose of Jesus in our lives. 
Because I would say this. That when we do not accept the life of Jesus, his lifestyle, his way, the, the call of him on our lives, the call of the spirit in our lives, if we do life by the flesh, we do life by the world standards, if we align ourselves and compare ourselves to the world standards, then we're always going to be disappointed. And we're always going to be upset because the world standard says, well, everything has to look like this and this is what good is. And in that way, when we don't accept the life of Christ as our life, we become like the mockers that Jesus experienced. Figuratively. Because we could look at Jesus on the cross. And we can look at his meekness, maybe, in our situations where we have been called to wait. Maybe you are experiencing a season of mockery. Maybe you are experiencing a season of manipulation. Maybe you are experiencing a season of mistreatment. Maybe you are experiencing a season of loneliness and abandonment. And in that season, you could look at your life and say, oh my goodness, Jesus, if you are truly the son of God, why don't you come down from that cross and fix this problem? Stop these people from making fun of me. Stop the manipulation from happening. Fix my work situation. Fix my family situation. Do it now. If you are the son of God, prove your power. I'm tired of waiting. Sometimes we misunderstand his meekness as weakness. And so what happens is that we become dissatisfied. But the unfortunate thing is that this experience is that we miss out on a very valuable truth. And this is a very valuable truth right here. Galatians 2, uh, verse 20. You know this so well. So let's put it up there. That we, this is Paul writing it to Galatians, but we can say this. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Instead, we might be looking at the world and looking at life for everyone else and saying, if that is good, why don't I have that? And if I am aligned with God, the Son of God, why isn't everything going well? Well, first and foremost, it's not your life anymore. It's his life. He is learning, he is working in and through you to do a good work in a dark situation. And sometimes God has called us to endure these seasons. Why? Because in the waiting, he is developing and growing us and forming us into Christ and, and shaping our characters. But Paul says this so evidently, you put that back up there, Galatians 2.20, he says this, he says, the life that I live in the flesh, or in this case, even the body, the life I live right now in this body, I live it by faith in what? In the one who loved me 
and gave himself for me. The story we just looked at right now, he gave himself for us so that when we are going through these struggles and we're enduring things, we're enduring the disappointment sometimes that we experience in allowing Christ to live in and through us in dark situations, we can instead look to him to be our support in that because he did experience mockery, manipulation, He did experience abandonment, mistreatment. He did experience all those things that we just looked at. And so he can support you and be with you in that moment as well. And so what I'm going to do is I want to invite us now. And so Josh, I invite you to come um, up here and uh, help me out with handing out the emblems. What I want to invite us now to do is to make a conscious choice. Um, and I know that we've all made that choice to make Christ our life. Maybe at some point in time. Maybe you haven't yet today. And what we're inviting you to do now is to actually agree with him. Agree that he is your life. And that he is there and he is with you and he can care for you. And so as we take in the emblems, um, you can take it right here with you and, and, and go back. Um, but I think I just want you to just quietly just remember uh, his nearness with you as you're doing that. And that he's with you in that darkness, in, the, in those dark scenarios. And that he can also be the one to strengthen you through them. Uh, so let me pray quickly and then we'll get to that and the band will start playing for us. Uh, So Jesus, I just invite you and your presence to join us in this moment. That we wouldn't feel alone, but we'd feel your presence. We'd feel your nearness in this moment. And that for those of us who are struggling, that this morning would be the beginning of light in the dark. Pass this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.